Well, good morning, church family. It's been a joy to worship with you through the Advent season. I hope it's been a blessing to you the last few weeks as we've looked at this series, Hope for the Holidays. And we've looked at several themes throughout the last few weeks. We've looked at the hope of forgiveness. Last week, we looked at the hope of home, where we talked about the inescapable idea of home and our shared experience in longing for home. We connected that idea to the idea, we connected this idea of home to Christ and his coming and what his coming means for us. Jesus comes to bring us home. He welcomes us home through the gospel and home is the promised reward of the gospel. Home is this present reality that we experience in Christ and the hope that we have that one day Jesus will bring us home. That's what we looked at last week. Now this morning, we're going to be looking at the hope of all things being made new. The hope of all things being made new. Now we have the hope of home that we looked at last week only because it exists within this larger promise of Jesus making all things new. So home is just a, is one part of this grander picture that Jesus is going to make all things new one day. Now, as I've done several times through this series, I want to read a short letter from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that he wrote to his parents from the Teagle prison on November 29, 1943. So listen to what he says about this idea of waiting and longing for all things to be made new. And I think it's very fitting as we think about Advent, which of course is our entering into this longing and waiting for Jesus just like all of God's people have done since for 2,000 years. Listen to what he writes to his parents. He says, Jesus stands at the door knocking. In total reality, he comes in the form of a beggar, of the dissolute human child in ragged clothes, asking for help. He confronts you in every person you meet. As long as there are people... Christ will walk the earth as your neighbor, as the one through whom God calls you, speaks to you, and makes demands on you. That's an amazing thought, right? Jesus confronts us in every person that we meet. And he says, this is the great seriousness and the great blessedness of the Advent message. Christ is standing at the door. He lives in the form of a human being among us. Do you want to close the door or open it? He says it might strike us as strange to see Christ in such a near face. But he said it. And those who withdraw from the serious reality of the Advent message cannot talk of the coming of Christ in the heart either. Christ is coming. Christ is knocking. He says it's still not Christmas but it's also still not the last great advent, the last coming of Christ. And he says, through all the advents of our life that we celebrate, runs the longing for the last advent, when the word will be, I am making all things new. He says, the advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life, is an Advent season. That is, it is a season of waiting for that last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We can 
And we should also celebrate Christmas despite the ruins around us, speaking of the war. He says, I think of you as you now sit together with the children and with all the Advent decorations. As in earlier years, you did with us. Remember, he's in jail thinking about Advent with his family. He says, we must do this. We must do all this even more intensively because we do not know how much longer we have. Every Advent reminds us of the great Advent. Our whole life is Advent as we wait on the promises of God to come to fruition. So this morning, let's look at this great hope of all things being, being made new from Revelation 21. So turn all the way to the end of your Bible. The last two chapters of the Bible, we're going to look at um, verses 1 through 8 of Revelation 21 and then just a few verses from chapter 22, and I'll read those later in the sermon. So turn, Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Listen to what John sees. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Now this morning I have six truths about the hope of all things being made new. Six truths. Let me get to them briefly. Here is the first one. If we're thinking about the hope of all things being made new, here is the first truth. There is coming a day. There is coming a day, according to Revelation 21, there is coming a day when there will be no more causes of sin, no more causes of unrighteousness, and no more causes of injustice. Look at verse 8. I'm going to work backwards through this text. Look at verse 8 and what it says. This is the judgment portion of the text. It says, but for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. There is coming a day, the Bible tells us, when all causes of sin will be removed. There will be no more sin, righteousness, unrighteousness, or injustice. There will be no more. It is hard for us to imagine this because we cannot, we, in our minds, we cannot escape the brokenness of our world, but there is coming a day when there will be no more pride. 
There will be no more anger. There will be no more bitterness. There will be no more jealousy. There will be no more strife. No more envy. No more abuse. No more corruption. No more manipulation. No more murder. No more wars. Our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our self-reliance, our self-justifying actions, our self-gratifying desires, all of our self-worshipping sin will finally be done away with. Jesus will bring judgment and remove all causes for sin. Jesus actually says this in Matthew 13. Jesus promises, speaking to his disciples, that this day is coming. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 13. He says, on that day, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. On the day Jesus makes all things new, sin will no longer be a part of our existence. I hope you long for that day. I hope you long for the day, believer, when the battle of Romans 7 will finally be over. When that battle, our battle against our flesh and our sinful desires and our sinful proclivities and all of of the brokenness in our hearts and minds and our lives will finally be done. It will finally be over. The war will be over. This is what Paul says in Romans 7. If you don't understand this war, Paul says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right. But, the not, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not, now if I do what I, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's coming a day when that war will be over. When this, the old man, the old nature, the old Jacob will finally be put to death. There will be no more causes of sin. No more causes of unrighteousness or injustice. Now hear me. Hear me. All of our longings right now, all of our yearnings for justice, all of our yearnings for righteousness, all of our longings for wholeness, being whole, not being broken, all of our longings for holiness, to be made more like Jesus, will find their fulfillment When Jesus comes to make all things new. So hear me. Every person, and this is true everywhere in our world. Every person who longs for justice to be done. For righteousness to prevail. Even if they have a distorted or broken sense 
of what justice and righteousness actually should be, that is still an echo of what was lost in Eden and for what we long for in the future. The issue is that only Jesus can bring, them to, bring us to what we ultimately long for and yearn for. See, that's a big deal in our culture. Everybody talks about justice and everybody talks about putting aside unrighteousness. And those battles are good. But that's a longing for what only Jesus can bring. Because all of us in our brokenness cannot bring full righteousness into our world. Because we must deal with our own brokenness along the way. But there's coming a day when Jesus will make it all right. Because there is no injustice in him. There is no unrighteousness in him. There is no sin in him. And so there is coming that day. Secondly, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when Jesus makes all things new, when there will be no more curse. There will be no more curse. Look at Revelation. Flip over to Revelation 22. Just look across the page at verses 1 through 3. This is part of the seeing the end of all things. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. No longer will anything be accursed. You see, no longer will there be anything that all of the brokenness and all of the curse of Genesis 3 will finally be undone. The paradise that was lost will finally be regained. Well, what is that curse? Well, listen to Genesis 3. This is what happened in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned, and God cursed them for what they had done. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. In the garden, man had a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with each other, and a perfect relationship with creation. And all of that was broken and cursed because of sin. And the Bible ends with this promise, I am making all things new. And on that day, there will be no more curse. You see, we sing of this in Joy to the World, the Christmas song, when the third stanza says this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. That is the hope of joy to the world that Jesus is coming to undo the curse of Genesis 3 that all of us still live under to this day. And then number three, there's coming a day. 
There is coming a day when Jesus makes all things new, when there will be no more sadness, there will be no more suffering, and there will be no more sorrow. Look back at chapter 21, verse 4, as we work our way back up through the text. It says, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Just think about this. It is hard for us to imagine this, that there will be no more grieving. There will be no more losing of loved ones. There will be no more sickness or disease. No more pain and no more death. Now listen, we are so accustomed. We are so numb to death in our brokenness that all of us simply accept it as a part of the natural order of this world. Death is as natural as sunshine and green grass in the summer. All of us talk about it that way. Everyone has to die. It is natural. It is part of this world. In one sense, you are right. Due to the brokenness of this world, death entered it. And th- thus, all of us must go through this. But hear me. The real issue that we see here in Revelation 21 and 22 is that death is not a, pa- a natural part of this world. It had no place in this world when God created it. Death is the intruder into our world that must be put to death and cast out. Death is not natural. It is part of the curse that comes to us. One day God will cast it out. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for as by a man came death. That's Adam. And by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Listen to this. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power, For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That last enemy will be cast out because it never belonged. Death will be no more. The former things, the old things, the brokenness of our world due to sin is all made made new. Now hear me. Every death and funeral today... And all of us have been to many, and if we tarry, we will go to more. Every death, every funeral today should build in us an increased longing for this day when all things we may do, and death will finally be cast out forever. Death will be cast out forever. All things will be made new. There will be no more sadness, no more suffering, and no more sorrow. Isn't it amazing that for us we... We don't think of death as the intruder. That is what doesn't belong. Jesus will cast it out one day. And then fourth, there is coming a day when there will be unrestricted and unrestrained access to Christ and the Father. There is coming a day when there will be unrestrained, unrestricted access to Christ and the Father. Look back at verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is the promise. There will be no more shadows, no more whispers, no more veils, no more distance, no restrictions, no come back later, no our father is busy, no waiting in line. We will see him face to face. We will behold his glory and beauty forever. And that is something that our mind cannot even imagine. Unrestricted access. There will never be a time when Jesus says, no, you don't get to walk with me today. No, you don't, have, you don't get the joy of my presence today. No, you go find something else to do. No, I'm too busy. No, you're too sinful. No, it's not your time in line. Unrestricted, unrestrained access to our Father and to Christ forever. Number five. On that day, when Jesus makes all things new, there will be unceasing worship, joy and delight forever that's hard for us to imagine unceasing worship unceasing joy unceasing delight forever look over at chapter 22 again I'm going to pick up in verse 3 just look at chapter 22 I'm going to pick up in verse 3 he says no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And what I want to say here, and I want to be careful about my comments, um, because there, there are so many things in this world that irk me, and I can get on a soapbox, and I didn't write my soapbox down. And so if I take a big break here, then it might be trouble. But there is this pernicious idea that heaven will be boring. There is this pernicious idea that actually earth and the things and the joys and the delights we have here are better than heaven. There's, the, there's actually country songs that are written that I, I just can't imagine heaven could be better than this. Well, the reason is, is because, frankly, you don't read your Bible. And because you have such limited imagination. The new heavens and new earth will not be a static, unchanging experience. The new heavens and new earth will not be a static, unchanging experience. Now let me explain this as best I can for you. The new heavens and new earth will be an ever-growing, ever-expansive, ever-new experience in worship, joy, and delight. New every day. Like seeing the brilliance of a diamond under pure light, each turn shows a new glory and new splendor and new beauty. And Kali, I, I put that in my sermon before you spoke this morning. So Kali shared that same illustration this morning at our men's breakfast. But here's the point. Each day there will be an infinite amount of God to see and enjoy. 
And in 10 million millennia, there will still be an infinite amount of God to see, behold, and enjoy. God's glory will forever and always be inexhaustible. Forever and always be inexhaustible. There will never be a time, like if you go to Disneyland, there's only so much you can see there. There's only so many times you can get on the rides and it becomes old. And the magic leaves. This is not heaven. When you have an inexhaustible fountain of beauty and glory and splendor forever. Listen, listen to what Ephesians 2 says. It said, Paul says there that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages, coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. In the coming ages, you will never get to the bottom of these riches, of the glory, of the beauty, of the splendor, of the delight, of the joy, of the worship. So each day in heaven is better than the day before. Because each day you have a new beauty and glory and brilliance to experience. Every day will be better. Every day. And I want to say why that's hard for us to imagine. It is hard for us to even comprehend this kind of idea because of our finite senses and our finite limitations. How many senses do we have? Five senses. There's a smart child in here that's smarter than the rest of you. You have five senses. The only way to perceive reality around us is we have to see it, we have to hear it, we can taste it, we can smell it, and we can touch it. That's the only way for us to perceive reality. If I were to ask you to imagine another way to sense reality around you, you would say, I cannot do that. I am limited in the inputs into my brain for me to understand the world around me. That is so true. But here is the point. In Isaiah 64, God says this, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined. You cannot even imagine something beyond your five senses. It is an impossibility. It is a limitation of the human mind. And it says, there, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest thinkers America has ever produced, he said that, he said that though we can never even imagine there being other senses, that he believed that when God brings with him the new heavens and new earth, that God will give us an infinite amount of, uh, an ever-growing amount of senses to behold and enjoy the glory of God forever. Now, how could I even describe that to you? Words cannot explain the glory, beauty, and joy, and delight that is awaiting on us in the presence of Jesus. So, if you are ever tempted to think, heaven cannot be better than what you see around us in this broken world. Let me just say with a lot of humility and a little bit of sarcasm, you have lost your mind. Read your Bible. You're talking about the God of infinite glory, infinite joy, infinite imagination. Just sit at home and think about that for a little while. Every day a new glory, joy, and delight. If you went there for a second, you would never once bat an eye about coming back here. Not once. Not once. And then, number six, until that day, 
until that day, Christ is making us new now. You see, one of the great joys of Christianity is that we don't simply wait for all things to be made new in the future. No, Christ by His Spirit is taking that future reality of all things being made new and bringing them into the present, into our lives, day by day. And that begins with our salvation experience, right? When you come to Jesus by faith, the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The, the, pres the, the present is being invaded by a future reality. We should have, when we come to Jesus, new affections for Him, a new love for Him. We should come and adore Him. We should come and worship Him. That is the future reality breaking into the present, into our brokenness. We should have new desires to walk in obedience and holiness, to walk in the Spirit, to put sin to death. We should have new longings for the day when it will all be made new. And I just want to say that that is not just happening presently in your life as a believer, but that should be reflected in the church as a whole. That we as a church should be a present picture of that future reality. Yes, it will still have its brokenness, and its image will be a blurry reflection. We will look through a stained glass dimly, but the truth remains. Jesus is preparing his church to be his bride that is ready for the new heavens and new earth right now. We are being prepared for our future glory in the present. That is happening. Go read Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says that we are to put off the old self with all of its deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we're to walk in love and be imitators of Christ together. The church is meant to be a reflection of that future reality now. So when people walk in off the street and they don't know anything of Jesus or of the hope of the gospel, and they walk in and they go, this place is different than our culture. This place is different than everything else I have seen. This place is where people bear with one another in their brokenness. And they love and serve one another despite their differences. And they don't care what somebody's background is or what color their skin is or what their educational status is. They just love one another and serve one another. I want to be a part of a community like that. Listen, our church is broken. We're not perfect, but we should, have, we should show everybody the broad strokes of what that future reality will be like. Now I want to end with verses 6 and 7 of our text. Look at, 21, look at chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. This is what John writes right in the middle of chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. He says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now listen to this. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Notice this text includes an invitation. There is an invitation to this new heavens and new earth. The invitation is for those who are thirsty. For those who long for this day. For those who yearn for Jesus. For those who know their brokenness and their sinfulness. And who long for that to be done away with. So they can be made new. 
so that they can be given a new heart, so they can be given a new nature, so they can have their sins forgiven and have a seat at the table when this day comes. The promise is that if you are thirsty, then you can drink from the water of life. The question is, are you thirsty? Do you long for Jesus? Do you want to drink from Jesus? This is what Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4. He said, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is bringing a new heavens and new earth. And on that day, all that matters is do you know Him? That's the invitation this morning. If you have never repented of your sins and come to Christ, you will not be ready for this day when all things will be made new. And you will be part of those who are cast into the lake of fire. When, God, when Jesus gets rid of all of those who live in unrighteousness. That's not good news. The good news is that Jesus is who forgives us and makes us righteous. It's not because I'm good. It's because Jesus is good. Heaven is not filled with people who deserve to be there. Heaven is only populated by people who have received grace. That's why humility reigns in heaven and not pride. Because no one deserves to be there. And on the other side, everyone who is cast out absolutely deserves the judgment of God. That's not good news, and that's not popular news. And I don't say that meanly. I say that imploring you to come to Jesus. Come and drink of the water of eternal life. Come and flee the judgment that is to come and be found in Jesus, who stands with his arms open and says, I welcome anyone who comes and drinks of this water. Would you pray with me, Father? I pray that this has been a, a message that has resonated in our hearts. That, Father, our great hope is that one day you will make all things new. And that, Father, we would be prepared for that day when we stand before you. Because there's coming a day when you will remove all causes of sin and unrighteousness and injustice. And there's coming a day when there will be no more sorrow or sin. There will be no more death. Father, there will only be joy, delight, worship, wholeness, holiness forever. And Father, we pray you would fit us for that now. Speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name.